Today, we begin a five-week journey into chapter six of John's gospel. And let me just be honest, it would be easy and tempting to preach about something else. Five weeks in the middle of summer, I mean, how many times can we hear Jesus explain that he is the bread of life? But Jesus calls his disciples and he calls the 5,000 and he calls each of us to go deeper and to surrender, to surrender into the abundance of God's love, because that is who Jesus is. In today's gospel, we are asked to trade in our fear and trade in our belief in scarcity for trust in God's abundance, because that is who Jesus is. God's abundant love, the feeding of the 5,000 is the one miracle story in all four of the Gospels. And in three of the Gospels, it's connected to the miracle of Jesus calming the storm and walking on the water and saving the terror-filled disciples. Not only does Jesus feed us, but Jesus also saves us. One of the problems and why Jesus takes up all of chapter 6 explaining is that the disciples and the 5,000, and I'm going to say all of us, don't truly understand who Jesus is. And we don't understand how he is feeding us and why he is feeding us. John doesn't refer to these acts as miracles. He doesn't talk about miracles. He calls them signs. So today's gospel echoes numerous signs. It echoes the Passover when God delivered his people. It echoes the time in the wilderness when God fed the Israelites with manna. It is a sign of the Messianic banquet and it is a sign of the Eucharist, which we are getting ready to celebrate. The feeding of the 5,000 is much more than just Jesus taking care of physical and material needs. It is a sign of salvation, but it's not salvation. It's a sign of the kingdom, but it's not the kingdom. Yes, God nourishes us in numerous ways, but remember, God also saves us. The problem is that we only see the physical material level, and then we don't understand the sign. We live in a consumerist culture where the solution is to purchase, to buy, to get, to acquire. I don't know if some of us remember in the old days, we used to call gas stations filling stations. You would go to the filling station and get filled up. And I liken that to now, it's as if we're empty and we come to church to get filled up or that we're burdened and we come to be unburdened. What can Jesus do for us? How can Jesus meet our needs? And then there's that prayer, keep doing stuff for me, Jesus, that we often repeat. And then when things don't go our way, we get mad at Jesus or we doubt God. It's kind of like Jesus is our social worker, our case manager, our personal shopper. 
It's hard for us to understand, just as it was hard for the 5,000 to understand and for the disciples to understand. The 5,000 get fed and they want to make Jesus the king. <clears throat> and they're confused when he withdraws and abandons them. And their confusion is our confusion. Do we really get the theological significance of pouring water over a baby's head? Do we really get the transformation that takes place right around this table? We can let God do things for us, but it's much harder to let God do things to us. We have trouble with trust. We don't trust in God's abundance, just as the disciples didn't think that 5,000 could be fed. We want God to do for us, but not to us. Because if we let God do stuff to us, then that calls on each of us to be vulnerable. That calls us on us to trust. That calls on us to believe in God's abundance and to let God save us. We'd much rather just have God meet our needs than to have God save us. Baptism and the Eucharist are saving acts. It's much easier to be a consumer than to think of us as being in need of rescue and salvation. And maybe it comes down to trust. Do we really trust God? Look at the disciples in the feeding story. Six months' wages would not buy enough. There's a boy with five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they amongst so many people? Scarcity and doubt. A few years ago, I had the privilege of taking a sabbatical and I had the chance to explore some of my spiritual roots. Uh, in a former life, I was a member of a Roman Catholic religious order called the Oblates of St. Francis de Sales. And part of my sabbatical pilgrimage took me to a place, uh, which is kind of hard to believe, but it took me to Camden, New Jersey, of all the places in the world to go on a spiritual pilgrimage. But two of my former classmates were there and they were running the Catholic cathedral. And I, I met a woman from Philadelphia right across the bridge there, uh, whose name was Susan Mackey, who was in charge of the outreach efforts there in Camden. And I worked with a team of volunteers in their feeding program. They served lunch to 500 people every day. And it was just an amazing operation on a shoestring budget. And I asked Susan, Susan, how have you done this? This is incredible. You do this every day. And she said, Father, in her Philadelphia accent, Father, you know, you, you just got to trust in God. Do we trust in God? Do we trust in the abundance of God's love? In God's ability to calm the storms of our life and of our world? In God's ability to free us from our fear? For make no mistake, as it says in the letter to the Hebrews, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Do we trust in Christ's ability to save us? Do we trust in the transformation that happens in baptism and in the Eucharist? 
And I'll leave you with this question today. What would it take in our lives to try to trust? To trust in God's abundance and to trust in God's love. Amen.